Welcome to episode 126 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Dr. Ann James. She joined the Air Force after leaving high school and needed a way to pay for college. Her older brother was in the Air Force, so she decided to follow in his footsteps. She first went to North Dakota and next was transferred to Italy. She got married and had her daughter and was divorced while in Italy. As a single mom, she knew that her daughter was depending on her, so she planned to stay in the military until retirement. At two, her daughter was diagnosed as a delayed development, and this forced Anne to make sure they were financially stable and make the right choices to take care of her. I really enjoyed hearing her story of serving in the military and the challenges she faced as a mom with a daughter who had special needs and how she was able to continue to get her degree and become a doctor. And I also want to mention that she recently started her own podcast, which I'll link to in the show notes, and it is called Battle Buddies of Color. So now that we got that out of the way, let's get started. You're listening to Season 3 of the Women of the Military Podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military Podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. It's another week in March, so let's highlight another woman-run podcast. This week, I am highlighting... The Truths We Hide with Annette Wittenberger. Annette and I met a long time ago, and I'm not even sure how we got connected, but she was one of the first people on my podcast. She was in episode 11, and funny enough, I was on her podcast, and I was also episode 11, and so it's kind of funny that that happened because that totally wasn't planned. But on Annette's podcast, The Truths We Hide, she talks about the raw moments of military life or life in general. I think it's really cool that she talks not only to military members, but also civilians. And recently, she had the opportunity to interview Rachel Hollis, which is pretty cool. And I'm just so proud of her for being able to highlight the stories and the truths of what happens behind the scenes. Annette is so brave in sharing her story, and it allows people to open up and share their story, and I'm just so thankful for the work that she's doing and all the accomplishments that she's had. So if you want to hear a podcast and hear about the truths behind what people are really are saying, go check out her podcast. And with that, let's get started with this week's episode featuring Dr. Ann James. Welcome to the show, and I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to be here. I've been waiting. Been a while. It has been a while. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? Yeah, wow. The reason why I decided to join the military, Amanda, is that, you know, I'm the youngest of a single mother and I wanted money for college and to travel. So my oldest brother, he was in the Air Force. So one summer I went to visit him at his um, base. I think he was stationed in Arkansas. So I went to visit one summer and I liked what I saw and 
that's where it took off <laughs> from there. So really to follow in the footsteps of my big brother and also, like I said, to just get money for um, school and also to travel. So you decided to join the Air Force like your older brother. Yes, exactly. And I almost forgot to write my stepfather. He was Army. Right. So I knew that I wasn't going to do army because I saw how he got up early in the morning and did PT and they spent weeks out in the woods. So I didn't want no part of that. So and I know I look better in blue. So that's why I ended up joining the Air Force. So you were a military brat for part of your lifetime. Yeah, I was. So you were like, nope, no army. (laughs) (laughs) No, no army. I didn't want to do PT. You know, that was my mind at the time, you know, because I was when I went in, Amanda, I was 18. So, you know, straight out of high school, the only job I had before that is working at McDonald's. So, you know, I really didn't know any better, but I knew what I didn't want. And uh, so that Air Force was the way to go for me. No back, no shame to nobody else. (laughs) Yeah. So did you decide when you were still a senior in high school that you wanted to enlist into the Air Force? No, you know what? Actually, it was after. You know, when I was in school, I really, I knew I wanted to go to college. But I, like I said, at the time, my mom was single. So I was like, oh, I didn't want to put that burden on her. You know what I'm saying? So I really kind of didn't give it any thought until after I graduated. Right? So once I graduated, it's like, okay, now what? You know, that type of stuff. And it was that summer, like I said, is when I visited my brother and the decision was made after the fact. And so how long was it between when you went to the recruiter and then you headed off to boot camp? Ooh, if I recall correctly, uh, I want to say I went to the recruiter maybe in August or September. So it had to be in the fall. And then March is when I left California at the time and got on the bus (laughs) and headed to the MEPS and stuff like that. So what was your job when you were in the Air Force? Well, my first job, Amanda, was I went in as a personnel technician or what some people refer as human resources. I went in enlisted, E1, straight out the bat. I did personnel and that's, you know, helping people with their records, stuff like that. Computer systems. I did a lot of computer stuff on the personnel side of the house, but it was uh, personnel. And you said that you started as enlisted and I know there's more to the story. (laughs) Did you use tuition assistance to get your degree or how did you get your degree and then make the switch to being an officer? Yeah, great point. Um, I did. While I was enlisted, I was very fortunate. You know, uh, my first duty station was South Dakota. So I wanted the heck out of there going from California to South Dakota. I was like, oh, heck no. So then I volunteered to go worldwide and I ended up um, in Italy. So, you know, I had some great supervisors that allowed me to, you know, actually take courses during my lunch hour at the education center. You know, back in the day, you know, we actually had ed centers where we can actually go and take courses. And then at the time as well, online was just starting to, you know, come fashionable. So I went online while using tuition assistance because I ended up being a single parent when I was at Italy. I uh got married, had a baby, eventually ended up getting divorced. So I was a single parent. So the online realm really worked for me. But yes, I used my um, tuition assistance to get my bachelor's. But um, at the time, they came out with this special program where if you had your bachelor's already, it was via ROTC, Reserve Officer Training Corps. So what I ended up doing was I got out for a year. 
and actually worked on my master's. I was able to get my master's and then I came back in as an officer. So I took advantage of that, you know, special thing with um, ROTC because they was looking for more officers at the time. And I was actually fortunate enough to be able to, you know, financially separate for a year. You know, who does that and then come back in, right? So um, that's how I ended up making the switch or crossing over to the dark side, as some people like to say, and uh, becoming a finance officer. Yeah. And let's go back a little bit and talk about being a single mom and the challenges that you had. I mean, I'm sure it was challenging being married and having a kid and then getting divorced. Like that sounds like a lot of stories. So can you talk about, and you were, how old were you? Like 21? Oh, girl, you're going to put me on blast. Ask me my age. No. (laughs) Yeah, no, you was right on the, you hit it right on the head. Uh, When I got married, I was 20. I had my daughter when I was, just had turned 22. And we divorced shortly after that. You know, overseas, first time away from home, young, stupid love, you know, military life, you know, that type stuff. So I ended up, like I said, unexpectedly uh, becoming a single mother. That was definitely challenging because as you know, the military, they expect you to be somewhere. They don't want to hear you, you know, can't find daycare or you get recalled at four o'clock in the morning. They don't want to hear that. So, you know, I had to make adjustments for that. But where things really changed for me, Amanda, is about when my daughter was about four or five years old, Uh, No, actually, it was before that, Um, maybe when she was about two, I realized that she wasn't speaking, you know, like the regular, um, you know, normal kids her age. So I um, ended up taking her um, to the doctor. And that's when I find out what they did. She was developmentally delayed or what they call autism now. So you talk about a completely, totally set challenges dealing with a child with special needs really turned things around for me and helped me to realize that. You know, it was no longer about me, you know, being out of control and that type of stuff. I had to get my life in order so that my past financial mistakes or my past fake mistakes in general didn't affect my daughter's life because I didn't know what her future held, right? You know, I was just like, what is this developmentally delayed? What does that mean? You know, will she ever talk? Will she ever, you know, get married? Will she, you know, it's just those type things ran through my head. So yeah, it was very challenging to say the least once I got that, you know, diagnosis about my daughter. Yeah. And what I've noticed from like single parents is like, you don't really have a choice, especially like, it's not that you don't have a choice. You don't really have time to think about like, is the military the right path for me? Or should I become a civilian? Like, because everything falls on you. And you're just trying to like get through each day. There's no like, take a break and think. And so you're just like plowing forward. Because I was talking to Teresa, one of my guests, and she was a single parent. I was talking to her and she's like, I never even thought about getting out of the military because I had like no time to think about if there was another option. Oh, my goodness. You bring up a good point, Amanda, in that before all of this, you know, when I got went into the military, it was my intentions to do my four years, get my GI Bill and go. That was my intention. But life happened. And once, yeah, once I got that diagnosis about my daughter, even though I wanted to get out, I was too afraid. You know, I couldn't afford it. You know, I was thinking, okay, medical, I didn't want to lose my benefits, you know, um, for my daughter, you know, and that type of stuff. So yeah, it's just kind of like I sucked it up and was like, okay, well, I'm going to stay in, you know, like the decision was made. There was no more, oh, should I or that type of stuff. It was like the decision was made despite my fears, despite what I wanted to do. Yeah, I had to do what was in the best interest of my daughter. So you're exactly right. Yeah, it it changed everything about 
your path forward. It did. So you were able to get out and do your master's, and that was with ROTC. So were you on like scholarship with the ROTC program, or how did that all work? Yeah, no, you know, once again, I was prior enlisted, so I didn't get the scholarship things. But thankfully, I had, you know, uh, my, my back in the day, <laughs> I had the Montgomery GI Bill, right? Not the not the, that came before the post nine eleven. So I had my Montgomery GI Bill, and also, you know, because of the work that I had did up to that point, making sure I was financially secure. Because once I find out about my daughter. It changed everything for me, especially in regards to my finances, right? I made sure I had to focus and regain control of my finances. So that's where I really went down that path to learn everything I could about personal finances. But because I had my financial house in order, it allowed me to take advantage of these opportunities that I may not have done otherwise. Like I said, who would have left the military for a year? You're losing your paycheck, you know, that type stuff where I wasn't worried about it because I didn't have any, you know, other type debt. You know, I had savings. I had, you know, I was prepared. So that's how I was able to do that for a year. Well, that's awesome that you were able to do that and that you got everything squared away to make that happen so that when that opportunity came, you could take advantage of it. So what was it like to make the shift from being enlisted to being an officer? I like how you called it going to the dark side. Oh, man. You know, the main reason, Amanda, that I uh, made that shift is because I was like, okay, if I'm going to be in it, I'm going to make the most of it. Right. So, of course, initially my mind was looking at the money. (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to make this money, you know, um, that type stuff. But the other thing that was important to me as to when the reason why I wanted to make the shift, I felt at the time that becoming an officer, I could have a greater impact on those that were, you know, that follow behind me and that type stuff. So, and and it was true up to a sense, but in the beginning it was challenging for me because I was not your average lieutenant. So I was like, I'm gonna age myself. 32 at the time, Uh, second lieutenant, had been in 12 years when I made that switch. So here I was starting over and, you know, going through what officer training, like basic training again with these little recruits telling me what to do and saying, oh, and they're Air Force. You know, I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't even, you haven't even been in, you know, type stuff. So it was very challenging for me to make that switch because, you know, in an officer role, you're more about the leading, right? The delegating and stuff like that. And my enlisted role, I'm the one, I did the work, you know, I'm down in the trenches. So it was hard for me to kind of separate myself and not be in the details, to be right there beside my troops. Like, no, let me do it. Cause once I switched over, I was finance, but I was previously personnel. So I knew we worked hand in hand. So if something was wrong with my pay or whatever, I'm like, no, let me go in the the system. I know what to do it. Or I'm going to go talk to such and such. They were like, will you sit down somewhere type stuff. So that was the most challenging part for me. It's just making that switch because the enlisted force is much tighter knit family oriented versus the officer side. Plus most officers are married with family. Here I am once again, single. So I kind of didn't, you know, I fit the mold, so to speak, um, as your normal officer. But like I said, I was just your average lieutenant. So I had to let my, my actions uh, speak louder than my words. So they would look beyond my rank and not see that butter bar, so to speak. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And like the senior NCOs helped the lieutenants and now you kind of, you were almost senior NCO and then you started all over again. So you had like the knowledge that no 
lieutenant like me had. You're like, I don't need you. I know how this works. But then you also, yeah, that would make it an interesting dynamic for 12 years. So what rank were you when you made the switch? E what? I was an E6, a tech, a tech sergeant. And then, like you said, went to a second lieutenant. And it's so funny. Yeah, I remember bumping heads with one of my chiefs, an E9, right? So, and she didn't know. So I had to tell her, I'm like, look. Uh, okay, I'm not your average lieutenant. You're not going to call me in your office. You come to my office type stuff. So, <laughs> so it's those type of dynamics. They were like, they learned quickly that Anne was prior enlisted. <laughs> yeah. And I think also being a little bit older than like second lieutenants are like usually right out of college. And we're, if we're, we're either single with no kids or we're married and just newly married and it's a different, it's like a party life. Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> Very true. So where did September 11th happen before or after you went on active duty? It happened before. It was so fun. In 2001. Yeah, I was still out. But I remember, of course, where I was because I was doing the training um, for ROTC and stuff. I was at Keesler at the time. And while I was out, I was doing like the VA work study program. And I worked in the NPF, the military personnel flight, doing like, what is it called? Like the survivor benefit office. So I was on my way actually to work when that happened. So, so you were out, but you had that past experience. And so, you know, you kind of like have a different experience because you served before September 11th. You were out during September 11th and then you went back to the Air Force. Was it a different type of Air Force than you had been in before or? You know, I would say, you know, besides the, you know, wartime environment um, or the mindset that we were in after the fact was the main, you know, the main difference besides once again, being on the officer side, that that was the main difference. But pretty much, you know, things were Pretty much it was the same except for, you know, the, the deployments and the ops tempo was very fast, you know, um, that type of stuff. So definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of people talk about how the ops tempo kind of went on full blast and <laughs> they really, that really slowed down since it's like. Very true. What was your, so what base did you go to when you were a second lieutenant? Oh, what was my first base? That's a good question. If I can remember, um, Maxwell. Actually, it was it's called Gunner, but it's a, attached to Maxwell. So um, it was um, Maxwell uh, or Gunner Air Station was my um, first duty station in Alabama, which I was happy because I'm originally from Georgia. So I was an hour and a half away from family in Columbus. So I, I loved it. That's great. And then where did you go after that? Where did I go after Maxwell? Girl, you, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, Maxwell, then I went to South Carolina. Yes, South Carolina. Shaw, Shaw Air Force Base. And what was your experience like there? Was your career pretty much the same or did you have like a deployment or any super hard aspects of your career? Yeah, you know, great point. Yeah, when I went to um, Shaw, once again at Maxwell, I was financed like the budget side. And then when I went to Shaw, I was once again the budget side. Because when you're, when you're talking about finance, you have like meal pay side of the house, like stuff like that. And you have the budget where we, we pay the bills, like we'd like to say. But so one of the things that I did when I was in South Carolina was I applied to become um, a special duty assignment and become an ROTC instructor. So I, I was happy about that. And I got chosen to go teach at the University of 
South Carolina, Debt 775, Go Gamecocks. <laughs> That's where, once again, things turn around for me because a lot of times, a lot of people say your career in, if you go to ROTC or you take a, a special duty assignment, you know, to be completely honest with you, I hadn't deployed up to that point, right? And that was like 17 or 18 years in. So I went to ROTC to avoid getting deployed because once again, I'm still a single parent. You know, I didn't want to get deployed. I didn't want to leave my daughter and stuff like that. So that's the main reason why I went to ROTC. Well, when you know, I get hit with a deployment while I'm at Roxy. So my one first and only deployment was a year-long deployment to Iraq. They found you. They found me, girl. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we should talk about ROTC and then we'll talk about your deployment because I don't I don't feel like I've talked to anyone about ROTC from the cadre side of it. That's not like leadership. So what was it like to be molding young college students into officers? I mean, I loved it. I mean, it, it's so funny. I kind of missed it when I was talking about my enlisted side. But when I was enlisted, I was an instructor as well on, at the tech training school as Keesler for personnel. So when I, so that's really where I found my love for teaching is when I was in, enlisted teaching. So when I got selected for our ROTC instructor, I mean, I just, I just loved it. And like you said, just molding your future leaders. As you mentioned, young college kids, they're partying and doing all these things, but they're testing out to see if the Air Force is an option for them. You know, and just being able to share my real life experiences with them, right? You, Yeah, we taught history and that type of stuff, but nothing takes the place of, hey, here's what I did and Here's what you need to do as a second lieutenant. Remain humble. Don't go in there wearing your rank. And I kept it real with them. And that's what I think that they loved about it because they knew, you know, because I was enlisted before. So now they see me and they was like, wow, you know, that type of stuff. So I absolutely love molding those uh, young minds. And I still keep in contact with plenty of them today. Yeah, almost nine, 10 years later. So it's awesome. Yeah, the cadre that we had, I, I'm not, I am connected on Facebook with a few of them. And what I remember, they're like, when you go on active duty, you better be humble. You're just a second lieutenant who doesn't know anything. You don't know nothing. <laughs> That's funny. I, I'm starting to help mentor young women who are joining the military, all like enlisted officer, just any branch, just trying to give them advice. And it's been so rewarding. So I can't, I bet ROTC is just like so much fun. It is. It is. And you know, like, you know, a little bit about the cadre. Well, so I served as the recruiting officer, you know, so getting people to join um, ROTC and also the OPSO, the, you know, the command, you know, the person in charge um, of everything. So I, I wore both hats. Um, so I, I just I loved it, man. I, I really did. I really I really did. Yeah, I have such good memories from ROTC. It was so much fun. So they found you and you got tasked with a 365 to Iraq. And you already mentioned you're a single mom. So what did you do with your daughter? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, they found me and not, you know, they made up for lost times, right? Not a six month deployment. They tagged me with a year long deployment. I was stressed out. But, you know, once I changed my perspective of it and was like, I'm going to make the most of this. Uh, so once again, I was very fortunate. I was in South Carolina at the time. My mother lived in California. And by that time, my daughter was 
16, 17 years old, you know, still, you know, autistic type stuff. So my mother, I didn't want to change my daughter's environment. I could have sent her to her father because we have great co-parenting relationship. I, he lived out of state, but I didn't want to change her routine so drastically. So I was fortunate enough that my mother, she moved from California to South Carolina and stayed in my apartment and helped, you know, and took care of my daughter while I was gone for that year. So that really put me at ease you know, to be able to go over and do that deployment. Once I knew that, I knew my daughter was taken care of. Once I knew my daughter was straight, nothing else really didn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I wanted, of course, I wanted to come back safely, but, you know, I knew I had to do what I had to do. I couldn't get out of it. (laughs) So yeah, once my daughter was um, situated, I was good. So my mother helped me out for that year. And when you were in Iraq, were you still doing like the budget side of things? Yeah, actually, I was still budget, you know, and, you know, that was my first and only deployment. And once again, I can't complain about that either. You know, it was a joint employment. So it was the first time that I was working with Army, Navy, Marines, you know. Yeah, it was just awesome. And that, you know, just seeing how other things work. But yeah, I was doing budget and our call sign was I just love it. Right. Because everybody thinks if you're in the Air Force, you can fly planes or, you know, this type stuff. And then when I say finance, we would say you make the kill. We pay the bill. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So I, I, I actually, like I said, I can't complain because we weren't, you know, Air Force. Once again, we weren't living in tents. We had our little mobile units that we were living in and uh, the bathroom was inside. So I didn't have to walk down and go to the bathroom. But and it was at a time when Iraq was dying down and Afghanistan was picking up. So that was in 2009. So, you know, once again, that kind of put me at ease, you know, as well. But it was still some challenging times. But for the most part, I can't complain. Yeah, I think it's interesting that it depends on when when and where you went, what like the activity was like because I went to Afghanistan in 2010, but it was more northern part and so it was a lot safer than like down south near Kandahar. And then my friend went 3 years later to Afghanistan and they got like rocketed all the time at Bagram and I was like, "We never got rocketed and it's the same place but different time." It just all depends on where you are. And I mean, it's still dangerous and there's still, you never know what's going to happen, but there's a level of like security when you're not getting rocketed very often. And yeah, I was right, not right in Baghdad, but it was like maybe 30 minutes south um, of Baghdad called Fob Phoenix or Union 3. The name changed so many times. But like you said, it wasn't an everyday occurrence, but it still happened. You know, the, the bombing. And at one point we had to We lived outside of the gates where we had to take a bus every morning to work. So that was, you know, nerve wracking. I remember like one time incoming, income, we had to get off the bus and get into these cement blocks, you know, that type of stuff. So, yeah, some things you never forget. (laughs) For sure. It's a life changing experience no matter what. Absolutely. It definitely is. Yeah. So when you came home from your deployment, did you feel like it was a smooth transition back to normal life? Like, did your daughter adjust well to you being home just because she was able to keep her routine and not have to move? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that was the, you know, the good thing. It was a good adjustment. It took a little bit for me and my mother, (laughs) you know, to because she's used to being back in control of things. And here I come back home and 
have my little input. So pretty much it was a, a smooth um, adjustment. You know, once again, my, my sleep pattern has never been the same work-wise. It, it, it was pretty cool, but it was shortly thereafter that, you know, I decided I was a, once again afforded the opportunity. Something came up where I could retire early to put my papers in. And that's exactly what I did. So I ended up retiring a year, maybe a year after getting back. And you served 21 years, right? Yeah, 21 years total. But when you make the switch from officer to enlisted, most often do you have to serve 10 years to get the retirement? Is that? Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's normally what it is. But like I said, during that time, you know, it was a, a drawdown time or whatever. And they came out with this program. I remember it vividly because up before that point, my commander at ROTC, he knew that I was waiting for something, you know, I was like, man, if I get the opportunity, I'm out of here. You know, I wasn't one of those ones that was afraid to get out or retire. I was ready to retire. So sure enough, they came out with this special program. They was doing a RIF reduction in force where they said, if you had eight years in, right, then as an officer versus those 10, then you can retire. I was on leave that day. I had took a day off or whatever have you. My boss called me on the phone. He was, and he knows not to call me when I'm on leave, <laughs> but and he called me. He was like, Ann, he said, I know not to call you. He said, but look at this email that I sent you. I said, okay. So he had sent me an email about the program with the eight years retirement. I went in that same day off of leave and put in my paperwork. Okay. He was like, no, you couldn't wait. I said, no, because it was like, you know, first come first serve, you know, you just don't know how many people they were going to allow through, you know, that type stuff. So I went in that exact same day and put my paperwork in to apply for that program to retire early. And so that's why I was able to retire without the 10 years of service and only the eight for being an officer. Yeah, you were ready. Girl, beyond ready. (laughs) You stay ready. So you were ready for the transition out of the military, but you had been in the military since you graduated high school, essentially. I mean, it was a few months after, but what was the transition like from being in the military to not being in the military and not going back because you did the college thing that one time? I was ready, right? So I think, like I told you, when everything changed for me with my daughter, Right. So it was at that moment that I started preparing for my transition. I knew that the military wasn't I wasn't going to stay in it forever. I knew I was going to do my 20 years and that type stuff. But I just started preparing then, whether it's my finances, whether it's my education. Right. I made sure I had all my degrees. I knew that. You know, the career fields that I worked in was transferable. I was personnel. I was finance, you know, um, that type thing. So I just prepared all the way for what I wanted my retirement to look, my transition to look like. I knew that I didn't want to have to work. I only wanted to work because I wanted to and not because I had to. So I just prepared all the way up to that point. So when it was time for me to transition, I was ready. I didn't have any of the challenges that, you know, you may hear about on the news, you know, as far as employment and stuff like that, because one, granted, yes, I had the retirement that I can, you know, that I knew I had that guaranteed income. But because of the fact that all of my other finances was in order, I didn't have any debt. I didn't have a car payment. I knew I didn't have to work only because I wanted to. So I took a year off. I did absolutely nothing. I did what I wanted to do. I traveled. I slept in. Girl, I just did whatever I wanted to do and didn't care about it. <laughs> I was just ready. You know, I was just 
I had prepared for it. So it wasn't my transition, what I consider a successful transition for me. Um, and I know that's not the case for everyone, but I didn't experience a lot of the challenges that, you know, you hear about with the unemployment or the, you know, the the identity piece, you know, a little bit, but my identity was never so wrapped up in the military, right? Like some people can't see their lives outside of the military. I was like, I can take this uniform off tomorrow and be good, you know, type stuff. So I was just ready, man. But it all started, like I said, years ago when I was, what, maybe four years in where I started planning for my transition for my eventual retirement. See, I think that's really good advice because I think that everyone should be planning for their transition from the day you join, like you said, because... A, you don't know if it'll happen unexpectedly if you get hurt or there's a rift. And like, then you're prepared for whatever comes. And then if you do make it to the 20 years and you can get the retirement, you're extra ready. Exactly. Yeah, because I see two years out, but two years out isn't enough time to get, especially if you haven't been like taking care of your finances. And then if there's courses you need to take, like you already were mentally prepared. And a lot of people are trying to deal with finding a job, getting their finances and the emotional aspect and you were already ready for it all. I was already ready for it all, you know, because like you said, the transition is inevitable. It's going to happen, right? So like you said, whether it's planned or it can be unplanned, but it's going to happen. You can't stay in the military forever. So, you know, you have to set yourself up for life outside of the military, whatever that is for you. Everybody's life, you know, is going to look different. But I knew how I wanted my life to look. You know, my daughter's life to look. Yeah, planning early, preparation early was key for me or key to a successful transition, in my opinion, and based off of my research. So you had your gap year, what that's what I'll call it, your gap year that you got to do whatever you want, travel, take breaks, do all that stuff. What did you do after that? And what and what are you doing the same thing now? Yeah, once I, I guess, kind of got bored, so to speak, <laughs> uh, with my year, I still had money on my GI Bill. Uh, so I decided to um, go back to go back to school because that was one of my goals when I was in. I was like, OK, in retirement, I want to be able to teach online. I wanted to work from home. I knew that whatever it was. It wasn't going to be on somebody else's dime, you know, going and clocking in. I just knew that that wasn't going to work for me because I did it for 21 years. I didn't want no one else telling me what to do. <laughs> um, so I knew that whatever I chose to do, it has to be on my schedule, flexibility, um, that type of stuff. So I decided to go back for my doctorate at the time because I already had my uh, master's. So, yeah, I just that was my full time job for three and a half years is working on my doctorate degree using my GI Bill. Did I work? Nope. I had my retirement check. I was able to live once again because I had my finances in order based off of my retirement check. And no, I wasn't a colonel when I retired. So for people thinking, oh, she re you retired as a colonel, you can do that. No, I retired as a captain in 03. Yeah, that's that's what I lived off of. And in addition to my VA disability, I'll add that in um, as well. So but because once again, I had my finances in order, finance wasn't an issue for me, you know, and that's I always wanted that to be the case. So I went back and got my doctorate of education and organizational leadership. And then after that, what are you doing now? 
What I am doing now is so funny. Like I went to school to become a teacher and I, I did that. But, you know, I also always wanted to have my own business. Right. So it takes somebody else speaking into your life to kind of give you a kick in the butt. So I was having a conversation with a friend of mine uh, one time and she know I had given her a book about finances. She was like, what about this finance thing that you're always going to talk about? What are you going to do with it? And I was like, huh? No, what am I going to do with it? (laughs) So, you know, after that conversation, that's when I decided to actually step out and start doing financial coaching, financial consulting, opening up my own business, uh, Financial Freedom Battle Buddies. And that's where I help my fellow, similar to you, Amanda, is my fellow military service women or those that have transitioned, help them to regain control of their finances so they can conquer the battle and live life freely. So that's what I've been doing. And I love it. That's that next chapter. That's awesome. And we'll put links in the show notes so that people can connect with you on LinkedIn and get to your website so they can learn more because finances is a really important topic. And a lot of people don't know I think you just don't know what you don't know about finances. And then once you learn it, it's it's easier to manage. Yes, exactly. You don't know what you don't know, because a lot of times it's not taught in school anymore. And if you're like me, it wasn't spoken about in my household. Right. So a lot of my education came from, you know, self-educating myself, webinars and reading books and learn by doing my own personal experiences with debt, paying off debt and, and stuff like that. So it's based off of personal experiences. And also now the, you know, the education, because I am an accredited financial counselor as well. So you hit it on the head. You don't know what you don't know, but once you know, hopefully you'll start to do better, right? So that's what I help, hope to help my clients do. You know, it doesn't matter where you're at or where you came from, that they too can live life financially free. Yeah, I think it's a lot more of like how you spend your money and not how much money you make. Like you said, you retired as a captain, not an 06. And you can make your money go a lot farther when you know where it's going. <laughs> Exactly. That's girl. <laughs> That's I would say that all the time, too. I'm like, it's not about the money that you make, how much It's how much you keep and what you do with it. So the less places that you have to have it going out there, floating around, paying other people and you can pay yourself, be your own bank, so to speak. And I'm not just talking about pay yourself first. I'm talking about keeping all of your money so that you can do whatever you want with it, you know, and that's my definition of financial freedom, doing what I want when I want without ever worrying about money. So that's what I hope to help individuals do as well. If you're looking for help, uh, make sure you go check out the show notes. And then my last question is, what advice would you give to young women who are considering joining the military? What advice would I give to young women that's considering joining the military? The same advice that I gave as a recruiter when I worked at ROTC is know the good and the bad. Do your research before you make a decision. Don't just look at oh, it's a steady paycheck and I get the travel and the benefits. Yes, that's all part of it. But are you okay with going to war? Are you okay with being separated from your family? Are you okay, you know, being getting called at four o'clock in the morning and you have to be where they say you're going to be? You don't have an input on it. So know the good and the bad before you make a decision. Do your research. Talk to people that have been where you are. Don't just listen to a recruiter and call it a day, (laughs) right? (laughs) So talk to other individuals that have been where you want to be, but make an informed decision and just know you can do anything for four years. 
right? You don't have to think, oh, I got to go in and stay 20 years. No, you can do two years, whatever the enlistments are now, you can do four years and you're that much ahead of that person that does don't have military experience, you know, as well. But I would say do your research before you make that decision because it's life changing. It's, it's a life changing decision. So that's what I would say. That's great advice. And if you're looking for more information about joining the military, I have a girl's guide to the military. And when this goes live, I'll have a girl's guide to the military YouTube channel. So you can get all your questions answered. And if you have another question that I haven't covered, just email me and that'll make a great video. So that would be awesome. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoy getting a chance to talk to you and hear about your experience in the military. Thank you, Amanda. I don't know if you remember this, but when we met at McMahon and I found out what you were doing, I was like, with your podcast, I was like, I want to do that too. (laughs) I mean, you like inspired me to, because I had never met someone that, you know, was doing a podcast specifically focusing on women veterans. And I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I want to do. So my podcast is in the work and will be released, if not by the end of the year, by the beginning of the year. But it all started when I met met you at Mick. It's coming, girl, but it started with you. So thank you for, it, it came full circle. That's, you know, to be on your show. And then from when I first met you, I'm, that's where it first started for me. The idea of a podcast is by meeting you. So thank you. listening to this week's episode of women of the military podcast do you love all things women of the military podcast become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review it really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow are you still listening you could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book women of the military on amazon every dollar helps helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.